two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and as a podcast uh, at iTunes, just uh, search Your Financial Editor. I am Chris Murray. So glad to have you along. Uh, hope you had a good week this past week. Um, there's obviously a ton of stuff going on. We're going to uh, stay on the rails, stay focused on um, the top stories of this week and uh, the economic data, uh, something in particular from the Federal Reserve. And um, it is, before I get going, I, I just want to say that uh, – my uh, condolences and prayers go out to uh, the families that lost uh, military uh, personnel this week and also those that were injured. Um, I can't thank you enough for the sacrifices that uh, your family members and you yourself made. So uh, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Um, joining me in just a little bit also after those top stories and the economic data Miss Katie D- uh, Tubb, she's a senior policy an- analyst for energy and environmental issues in the Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies. Uh, she researches and writes on subjects like nuclear energy, climate change policies, and the benefits of free market environmentalism. Um, and she put a real nice piece out uh, titled, What You Need to Know About Biden's Ill-Conceived executive order on electric vehicles, which uh, if you missed that, uh, he sent that out or signed it on August the 5th. We're going to talk about uh, the damage, potential damage uh, to the consumer, to the environment, and to the marketplace in general. So that's all coming up in just a little bit. Very uh, encouraging news when it came to a deal that was announced this week, Pfizer announced plans to acquire a Canadian drug developer, Trillium Therapeutics. This is a $2.26 billion deal meant to boost Pfizer's arsenal of blood cancer therapies. So uh, Pfizer's paying a 118% premium on the stock's 60-day weighted average price. Pfizer expects to benefit from Trillium's blood cancer therapies, including novel fusion proteins designed to enhance the ability of patients' immune systems to detect and destroy cancer cells. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Trillium's two lead molecules, TTI-622 and TTI-621, block a signal regulatory protein. The two fusion proteins are currently in clinical studies with that focus on various types of blood cancer. Uh, The CEO of Trillium is excited, not only because he probably made a lot of money, but also because he realizes that with Pfizer's global reach and deep pockets, um, this hopefully will move forward quickly. And um, you can just pray that, you know, these clinical trials are successful and people that currently have uh, blood cancers or will have them in the future will benefit from this. Just another uh, tool in the box, hopefully, to defeat uh, those types of illnesses and diseases. Something else I saw, no big surprise, uh, you know, 
a lot of people are are spinning this or they don't even talk about it at all because it's uh, rather embarrassing. But uh, states with Republican governors are leading the U.S. economic recovery from the virus, while those run by Democrats, which tended to impose lengthier and stricter lockdowns on businesses, are faced with significantly higher unemployment rates. So the Labor Department came out with uh, some data. It was published, and it showed last week, and it was showed uh, that the 10 states with the lowest unemployment rates are all led by GOP governors, while the 10 states with the highest percentage of -of out-of-work Americans are run by uh, Democratic governors. So, again, people don't want to talk about it or they want to spin it, but if you go to the Labor Department and look at the data – it is what it is. So you've got these blue states like Nevada, New York, New Mexico, California, and Jersey had substantially higher unemployment rates than the national average. Nevada, for example, 7.7. New York, 7.6. Uh, California, 7.6. The national average is 5.4. Pretty easy to do that uh, math, isn't it? And that's what the data showed. By comparison, red states such as Nebraska at 2.3, Utah at 2.6, New Hampshire 2.9, South Dakota 2.9, etc., well below that 5.4% national average. So kudos to uh, those governors, top 10 that are getting it done with those extremely low unemployment rates. Fantastic news for the workers and the consumers in those states, uh, just the opposite for the poorly run Democratic states. Again, just go to the Labor Department and you can look that data up for yourself. This isn't some hit piece that people uh, put out, just the facts. Also, we saw that Florida has recovered more than 960,000 of the 1.3 million jobs that were lost at the height of the virus. The Florida Department of Economic Opportunity said in a statement that the state has recovered 964,400 jobs of those lost when the virus struck last spring, which threw the economy, of course, into a tailspin and the unemployment rate just uh, skyrocketed. So Florida's economy now remains just over 315,000 jobs short of the pre-virus levels, according to the chief economist at the Florida Chamber of Commerce. So around two-thirds of the jobs that have yet to be recovered in Florida are in the leisure and hospitality industry. And, you know, they're really having a tough time in that sector. They have from the beginning, and that continues for them. But July marked Florida's 15th consecutive month of job growth. Uh, So that was very, very good to see. And for 12 consecutive months, Florida's unemployment rate, which is 5.1 percent, has remained below the national rate, which last month, as I said, was at 5.4 percent, according to the Labor Department. So Florida's unemployment rate continues to remain below the national average and more people continue to return to the workforce, showing that Florida remains a leader in the economic recovery from the virus. 
Uh, that was a statement by the Department of Economic Opportunity Secretary Dane Eagle. And then I saw that uh, Governor DeSantis' administration back in June reinstated a rule requiring unemployed people to apply for a minimum of five jobs a week in order to remain eligible to collect benefits, unemployment benefits. Fantastic. Good for them. Uh, Pretty interesting swing this week. I saw that uh, a big hedge fund manager, his name is Kyle Bass. He's the chief investment officer of Hyman Capital Management, uh, was sounding the alarm to investors about Beijing's regime uh, appropriation of profits from Chinese Internet giant Tencent. So uh, this is a big company. It's in pension plans. It might be in your portfolio. Uh, It's an Internet giant, as I mentioned. And basically, Mr. Bass was saying that Chinese uh, that the Chinese government is looting 10 cent shareholders. And by the way, it's, it's just like it sounds T E N C E N T 10 cent, um, but is looting shareholders in what is likely to an amount of well over 50% of their profits that the government is forcing over $15 billion to go to what they call common pros- prosperity to achieve uh, the Chinese Communist Party's national policy. So, um, you know, the media reported a few days ago that Chinese dictator Xi Jinping emphasized that China would focus on moderate wealth for all. Does that sound familiar? And that um, in a translation of what he was saying, common prosperity is the essential requirement of socialism and an important feature of Chinese-style modernization. Um, So good for Mr. Bass pointing this out. Not so good for BlackRock's uh, chief investment strategist, a person by the name of Wai Lin, or Wai uh, Wai Li, excuse me, uh, who suggested that, and BlackRock is the biggest money manager in the world, You're talking trillions of dollars. This is the chief investment strategist saying that despite Beijing's crackdown on Chinese companies, investments in China should be increased as the country is no longer an emerging market. But why would you that that makes no sense. So we know that they're doing wrong things. And they're a bad actor, but just because they're a developed country now and not an emerging market. We should put more American money into uh, those Chinese companies. Is that not the stupidest thing in the world? And, I mean, he said it out loud. It's it's ridiculous. And sticking with China for a while, which I, you know, love, they deserve uh, quite a few uh, gut punches uh, at a minimum, by the way. But U.S. Customs and Border Protection officials seized more than 3,000 fake virus vaccination cards up in Alaska that came from China. That was the second instance in about a week. So according to a news release from U.S. Customs and Border Protection, the fabricated CDC cards from China were of low quality but still closely resemble real CDC vaccine cards. So before that, uh, some officials, uh, border officials in Memphis, um, 
said they obtained thousands of fake vaccine cards, which were en route to New Orleans. So, um, you know, this country continues to do bad things. They crack down on Hong Kong. They've arrested public figures. Sometimes they disappear for a while. They lie. They cheat. They steal. And I just want to remind everybody, buying and selling fake vaccine cards with the CDC seal is a crime. So be careful if you're messing around out there, especially if you're getting stuff from China. (laughs) Um, The other thing that's just pathetic is the weak cooperation between U.S. and Chinese authorities uh, over trying to keep fentanyl from being trafficked into the United States of America. And this was to a, uh, according to a U.S. congressional advisory report. So the report by the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission said that U.S. authorities have found that cooperation with Chinese counterparts remains limited on the ground, is how they put it. You've seen this explosion in the use of fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid that is 50 times more potent than heroin. 50 times. And it's driven the most devastating chapter of America's long-running opioid and drug abuse crisis. So combating fentanyl smuggling has become a key priority for the U.S. agencies as overdose uh, overdose deaths spiked to more than 93,000 in 2020. Most of those linked to fentanyl. That's just sad, isn't it? All these things that China has done with the virus and corporate espionage, um, human rights, I mean, and now, you know, again, they just want to bring more fentanyl here, addict more people, kill more people, uh, and none of this comes up from this existing administration. Just a total sign of of weakness, um, which even back before in the Obama administration was, it was just clear. There was no question about it. But at least there was some cheerleading going on with Obama giving speeches, and that was what he could do. That's the one thing he could do. This, you know, Biden, he can't even read a teleprompter. And uh, it's this is really, really sad stuff. People are dying. People are overdosing. People are coming into the country illegally. Drugs are coming into the country. Gang members, terrorists potentially coming into the country. You've got all this ridiculous stuff down inside the Beltway, which what they're calling. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, actually, you can rename it. It's non-infrastructure spending. It, they want to call it infrastructure. That's a lie. Um, invading our voting opportunities, what we're actually free to do. They want to change that with uh, federal oversight. All these things are, and of course, the terrible stuff in Afghanistan, all this stuff going on. It's uh, it's just a mess. Uh, quick break. I want to let you know our latest uh, complimentary white paper for you, inflation and your retirement. Are you prepared for rising costs? I hope you are because they're everywhere. 
And the Fed's already mentioned, oh, maybe it's going to, you know, the big transitory word that they use for so long, trying to make people feel stupid. Um, it's not transitory. It's been here for a while already, and it's going to be here. So um, this is very important, the report, and that's why we put it out. Inflation in your retirement, are you prepared for rising costs? Because we're all dealing with them, right, every day. Going to take a uh, quick break, and when we come back, We'll be looking at some economic data. Really interesting comment from a Federal Reserve official. Loud thunder, heavy rain, thin line between joy and pain. It's a long, strange trip. It's all insane. You ain't never going to be the same. Living life through the night, thin line of a lightning strike. Sometimes the only light when the moon is tucked away. Pistons pumping, minds are racing. It's hard to sleep, man, when I'm shaking. It's free talk, no matter the cost. That won't cost you a dime. Didn't cost nothing. 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, as a podcast, just go to iTunes. And, um, you know, we got quite a bit of economic data this week. And uh, it's something, of course, that I watch very closely every week. Uh, It was mixed, as is normally the case. Uh, Home sales increased for the second straight month in July. That's existing home sales. Uh, they were up by 2% in July from a month earlier, according to the National Association of Realtors. The results outpaced analysts' expectations of an actual decline of half of a percent. So that plus 2% was welcome. Um, and it looks like uh, when you look at the numbers before the virus, existing home sales were at about $5.5 million per year. Uh, And sales activity surged for about six months during the virus period to an additional million. It went to about 6.5 million units sold. And now sales are under just about 6 million units. Um, So things are starting to, you know, to normalize a little bit with the existing home sales. We also saw that new home sales were up 1% in July, according to the Commerce Department. And uh, prices continued on an upward trend with the median sales price reaching $390,500. So um, it was good to see those two reports. Also with new home sales, uh, the availability for new homes in July was 367000 That's slightly more than six months' worth of supply at current sales levels. That's more normal as well. So uh, both of those reports were welcomed. Mortgage applications increased last week, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association, because the 30-year rate, for example, ticked down just a little bit uh, to an average of 3.03%. That was for the weekend at August 20th. So some people were back into the market there. Another piece of data I saw was, you know, you, you, you look at it with um, with 
mixed emotions. Uh, the energy data that came out on Wednesday, I saw that U.S. commercial crude oil inventories decreased by th- 3 million barrels from the previous week. Uh, so that means there's demand for oil, of course, for energy. So when you look at how much we have, that's uh, 432.6 million barrels of U.S. crude oil as far as inventory goes. That's 6% below the five-year average for this time of year. Gasoline inventories also decreased 2.2 million barrels last week, and they're about 3% below the five-year average for this time of year. So the mixed emotions for me, you see this drawdown, which is good because it means demand for energy. And at the same time, you've got this administration asking OPEC members to increase oil production to sell to us while they cut, force us to cut our American production. Is that the stupidest thing? Again, you're paying for it at the pump. Um, you know, no no bones about it. So, um, you know, just a way for them to force you to live your life a certain way. And it's great how so many people are pushing back and just uh, finding you know, ways to uh, get around all of these or ignore uh, all of these stupid and ridiculous uh, policies and procedures that they're trying to put in place. Uh, orders for long-lasting goods fell in July. Um, that's the durable goods orders. Uh, they were down just one-tenth of one percent. A big part of that was transportation-related goods like automobiles and uh, airplanes, for example. If you set aside that, it wasn't a bad report. Uh, but, of course, um, you've got these uh, supply chain issues, and, and that's hampering um, a lot of different businesses and sectors. Also, what wasn't good this week, we learned the number of American workers filing for unemployment edged up last week following four consecutive weeks of decline. So this first-time filing number for unemployment insurance, which is a proxy for layoffs, came in at 353000 last week. That's 4,000 more than the previous week, according to the Labor Department. And again, everybody wants uh, people to get excited <coughs> about these these numbers and how they're going down. 353,000 people applied for first-time unemployment insurance last week. You know what the average was before the virus made its way here from China? 220,000. So you're not going to get people excited about not even mediocre numbers. Um, And here's what I really like from the Federal Reserve, not so much Jerome Powell and, you know, not knowing what he's really about these days. But um, Esther George, uh, Miss George, she's the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, came out and was brave enough to say the U.S. unemployment rate may not return to the more than half-century lows recorded under President Trump. So the national unemployment rate, as I've mentioned a couple times today, is currently at 5.4%, but it remains elevated from the 3.5% that was reached under President Trump. So her quote was, I'm not necessarily wedded to saying a pre-pandemic number will represent full employment because one of the things we know is that the pandemic 
shock could have had real impacts on the way we work. So just back in 2019, the Federal Reserve said that 4.1% unemployment, that rate that we had, was full employment, basically, as good as it was going to get. That was until President Trump's tax cuts and deregulation helped the United States economy achieve its lowest unemployment rate since the 1950s. Now, these are all facts. And if you listen to the program, you heard me talking about it, if not every week, every other week. The policies were phenomenal, traditional, organic growth, not this stupid spending and wasteful spending of American taxpayer money and future taxpayer money. The policies helped achieve record low unemployment for Asians, blacks, Hispanics. You might remember me saying it didn't matter if you were a college dropout or excuse me, a high school dropout or you had a Ph.D., the numbers just got better and better. Didn't matter if you were white collar, gray collar, blue collar, the numbers better and better. Didn't matter if didn't matter if you were a man or a woman, numbers for employment were just getting better and better. And then what happens? China unleashes for the first time in history um a virus on the entire world. And um we won't even you know, this administration won't even bring it up. They don't even want to talk about it, about how this is going to be fixed and how, God willing, it will never happen again. But that's uh, that's just because there's there's no leadership and it's a sign of weakness uh, that we've we saw this before. Uh, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, before the news break, again, um, the latest white paper: inflation and your retirement. Are you prepared for rising costs? Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. It's on the homepage. It's a complimentary download. Just click the the button, and it goes right to your email for you. And we'll be back in just a couple minutes with uh, my guest, Miss Katie Tubb. And we're going to be talking about the uh, executive order that came from Biden uh, in uh, a little earlier this month about electric vehicles and uh, what it means to consumers to manufacturers, to our economy, to the environment. You may remember we talked before about what it takes material-wise to create just one battery for a car, uh, just how it rapes and pillages the earth. So we'll be talking about that and more. Stay tuned. I'm a 20-gauge shotgun, both barrels blazing. I'm 100 miles an hour around the curve without breaking. I'm a herd of wild horses. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And also as a podcast, just go to iTunes and uh, search your financial editor and you can get the podcast there. And uh, as I mentioned right before the break, 
We were going to be uh, jumping into a very interesting uh, topic with my guest this morning, Ms. Katie Tubb. She's a senior policy analyst for energy environmental issues in the Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies. Uh, she researches uh, such things as nuclear energy, climate change policies, the benefits of free market environmentalism, uh, et cetera. And you've probably read her work in uh, National Review, National Journal, The Washington Times, et cetera. And she wrote a really good piece um, uh, recently, what you need to know about Biden's ill-conceived executive order on electric vehicles. Obviously, this is a big topic, and we want to make sure that the listeners of this program, as always, are getting uh, truth. And, you know, what this means to us as consumers, what it means to our economy, what it means to manufacturers, et cetera. So with uh, having said that, good morning, uh, Katie. How are you? Good morning, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Absolutely, yeah, and and thanks for taking the time to join us. I appreciate it. Um, So I was mentioning, uh, you know, the piece that you wrote, but I guess if you will, uh, just give us an overview of what you've seen uh, kind of evolving with the electric vehicle, the whole battery-powered uh, issue over the last few years in particular? Well, this this executive order of President Biden's was in a lot of ways a messaging vehicle, but it was also a continuation of kind of the, the slow march of regulations in the transportation sector. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, the, the first piece of this executive order was President Biden um, aspiring to see uh, electric vehicle sales and zero emission vehicles to make up 50% of sales by 2030. It's currently about 2%. And, you know, a president can't make Americans buy a certain kind of car. But what a president can do is make it very difficult to buy any other kind of car. So that was the second piece of this executive order. And what I mean by the steady march of regulations in the transportation sector. So the second piece of the executive order announced new regulations by the EPA and the Department of Transportation uh, that would make it um, basically on fuel economy standards and on uh, greenhouse gas emissions from vehicles. And these regulations that have been proposed now are so aggressive as to make it quite difficult for car manufacturers to uh, build and sell, you know, a regular internal combustion engine. So to kind of sum all that up in a a clear package, you know, President Biden wants to see 50% of sales of cars by 2030 to be electric vehicles. And while he can't make buyers buy certain kinds of cars, the regulations proposed will make it very difficult to manufacture and sell anything other than electric and alternative vehicles. And again, um, there's there's a lot of uh, pushback on this because one of the things, and I pointed this out years ago, that it's going to punish is uh, lower income and poorer uh, type of people because the uh, these vehicles aren't cheap. And um, again, if you're forced into doing something, um, maybe they're going to be successful. I'm highly doubtful of that. But the 
you know, the wrong people, as in many cases, are the ones that get hurt the most from this type of uh, legislation. Exactly. And I think that kind of drives the conversation, Chris, to where um, I like to point it to, you know, is that there's nothing wrong with electric vehicles as a choice. You know, I'm glad they're part of the competition. That's what's made America great over decades and centuries is that we have robust competition. And that's, I think, how we drive innovation to the um, best, newest technology. So I don't want to I don't want to hate on EVs, but the problem is um, policies that kind of narrow the scope of innovation to politically correct versions of transportation. And in, under this administration, that's electric vehicles. And one of the consequences of that is it, it hurts uh, the poor the most. So I just as a, an experiment of, you know, what does that look like um, with the, the vehicle fleet today? Uh, I looked up Ford's F-150 um, and the 2021 model starts at about $29,200. And their new F-150 Lightning, which is their electric vehicle version, um, is starting at $40,000 for their model 2022 uh, version. And, you know, that just prices certain people out of the market. Um, and other people don't want to pay that much. So I think that's part of this whole conversation about trade-offs, you know, and that's why I think the relationship between customers and businesses is so important so that customers are in control of what trade-offs they want to accept and what's, you know, a bridge too far for them. Yeah. And and I'm with you, by the way, I agree. If you want a Tesla or you want some other uh, new electric vehicle, great. You know, you have that opportunity to uh, to purchase that, especially if you have the money to do it and the desire as well. But uh, again, for those who want uh, the traditional uh, engine, uh, whether it's gas or diesel, um, they should have that opportunity. Uh, and what they're to me, it seems like what the administration's uh, trying to do and environmentalists and a lot of the politicians and appointees uh, behind these types of things is just control uh, what your options are as opposed to leaving them open and having a competitive free market like, uh, as you mentioned, we've had for 240-plus years that has made the country uh, what it is today. Right. And, you know, kind of another piece of that too, Chris, that I think is worth bringing up um, is, yeah, again, I was just looking around at, on the Department of Energy's website, and they have some really interesting data on where electric vehicles are in the nation right now. And the vast majority of EVs that are registered are in the state of California. Um, and the, the number two state is Florida, and it's, you know, an order of magnitude less than what's in California. And so part of, I think, what we're seeing here is you know, the administration channeling our options to a politically correct option, electric vehicles, and then trying to get the rest of the country on board with the way California does things. And right along with uh, free markets and free enterprise being a foundational piece of what has made America a great country to live in is also this idea of federalism, you know, that California can run their experiment, Texas can run theirs, uh, you know, Minnesota can run theirs, and we see all kinds of different models of policy. And so I think another problem with uh, President Biden's executive order 
and related regulations is it's destroying that uh, system of states being laboratories of democracies. You know, I, I don't live in California for a lot of good reasons. As, you know, a beautiful state as it is, um, their policies are very expensive, and electric vehicles is a, a case point in that. Um, but I'm glad California exists and can run their experiment, and we can all learn from it. And unfortunately, this policy by the Biden administration starts to really blur those lines in ways that I think are um, counterproductive to this experiment of democracy. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, that's that's an excellent point. Talking this morning with my guest, Ms. Katie Tubbs, she's a senior policy analyst for energy environmental issues in the Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies. If you want to uh, learn more about uh, Katie and uh, the article in particular, that we're talking about that she wrote on the 10th of August, you can go to heritage.org and just uh, type uh, Katie, and the last name is T-U-B-B. The article is titled, What You Need to Know About Biden's Ill-Conceived Executive Order on Electric Vehicles. One of the things, uh, I mean, it's a great piece. Congratulations on it, uh, Katie. But, you know, you talked about studies from the Congressional Research Service and the University of California at Berkeley show the vast majority of tax credits for buying an electric vehicle have gone to corporations and to Americans in top tax income brackets, kind of back to our point, you know, who benefits from this and who really gets the uh, short end of the stick? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of the dark side of these tax credits, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, the Congressional Research Service and uh, Berkeley have both looked at this, um, looked at past you know tax returns, um, where foregone revenues from the federal government have gone, and it's overwhelmingly uh, corporations and Americans making over $100,000 a year. Uh, and again, you know, great for the people who can um, afford electric vehicles. You know, I don't, I don't want to castigate that, but it's, it's a, an important piece of the conversation that essentially what this tax credit is, is the vast majority of Americans subsidizing with a very nice coupon the lifestyle choice of wealthier Americans. And there's some level of injustice there. Um, and to me, you know, if we're going to talk about this as a climate policy, which is currently how Congress is considering that tax credit, to me, that's an unjust climate policy um, to ask the majority of Americans to pay for again, a lifestyle choice of wealthier Americans. Yep, totally unfair. Um, And I think a lot of people are starting to see that for what it is. I've always said the whole um, this climate change stuff in my just my opinion has always been it's a power and money grab. um, And that's why they won't have open uh, moderated debates with experts on both sides because they know they'll get waxed. Uh, as they have in the past, uh, once people really learn really all of the the pros and cons. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Miss Katie Tubb uh, and talk more about electric vehicles, uh, policies when it comes to those vehicles and the environment and what it means to you as a consumer, what it means to the manufacturers. I have something interesting I'll share with you on that, and uh, we'll get her insight uh on a a few more things as well. So stay tuned.
She won't let me help her tie her shoes. No, Daddy, I can do it myself. When she don't get her way, she'll cross her arms and hold her breath. She's a handful, she's a mess. Digging in the dirt in her princess dress. Goes from tiny tornado to sleeping on my chest. God bless the boy. 9.30 WFMD's Ryan Hedrick is live and on location. And join me at Long Shots this weekend for off-track betting, food, drinks, and more. Long Shots at the Clarion Inn beside the FSK Mall this Saturday afternoon between 2 and 4 on 9.30 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and as a podcast on iTunes. And uh, we're wrapping up our conversation with my guest this morning. Um, really interesting uh, topic. We're talking uh, with Miss Katie Tubb about um, these uh, electric vehicles and the regulation and the environmental uh, spin to it. Uh, Katie is a senior policy analyst for energy and environmental issues in the Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies. So she researches and writes on nuclear energy, uh, the benefits of free market environmentalism, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, climate change, etc. And she holds a bachelor's degree in history from Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania. And um, one of the things you did, uh, Katie, that I wanted to ask you and see if you uh, wanted to share with our listeners, I saw in your bio that uh, you worked in the office of then Congressman Mike Pence before, of course, he became vice president. What was that experience like for you? a really good learning experience um and it, it showed me you know i think we you know we all go through a civics class in high school but to see it um on a day-to-day basis how our government works was really enlightening um i learned a lot and it, so I, I highly recommend anyone interested in how government works to actually you know take an opportunity um to do an internship to see how the process is done so really good experience of course i had no idea that years later i would be watching my former congressman be vice president so that that was uh quite a cool experience yeah i bet yeah what a great guy i'm I'm sure you did uh enjoy that uh that experience so um one of the things that we were talking about is you know this big push and who's going to get the benefits corporations higher income tax bracket and people were talking about the electric cars um you know might be the future but for a lot of the US automakers trucks they rule and SUVs that's their that's what people want um that's their high profit margin uh as far as sales and they're committed to continue to pump these vehicles out. Uh, so how does that marry into the whole half of the market be electric vehicles by 2030, do you think? Uh, that is a million-dollar question. <laughs> um, and I don't know the answer because you're right. Americans have enjoyed and preferred internal combustion engines, you know, for decades. And for a lot of good reasons, you know, 
well, we talked about how they're affordable, um, but they're also energy dense. You know, refueling is quick. It's easy. Um, they can withstand a, a variety of weather conditions. They have long lifespans. Um, and there are significant trade-offs to electric vehicles in all of those characteristics I just listed off. Um, so this that's a really good question. Um, I think... You know, a couple pieces to how do we start to get an, at an answer. One is the regulatory side of this, that uh, the Biden administration might be making it very difficult, again, for customers to choose anything different when it comes to purchasing new cars. A lot of that's up in the air as far as how a, a next administration would approach that issue, as well as how Congress approaches that issue. So I, I don't want to make it sound like it's a one-and-done you know, King making a decision, you know, we still live in a representative democracy where there is checks and balances. So that's part of the question or part of the answer to the question. And I think another part is, you know, major auto companies, I think, are feeling a lot of pressure and running their own political risk assessments. You know, how do we minimize the damage? (laughs) Um, And so it'll be interesting for me to see how consumers respond to the choices that we have on the market, but also how companies respond, not just to the messages they're getting from their customers, but also the political pressure that they're uh, the brunt of, Um, which is a long way of saying, Chris, I don't know. Um, There's a lot of these dynamics that, you know, it's not a a linear uh, question or answer. Um, And so, I think it's kind of a a wait and see how this all plays out and also to encourage people to engage in the in the political process with your representatives and with the regulatory side of things, too. Yeah, well put. And and you're right. There is no uh, easy answer to that. It's just it's it's seems like right now the automakers are playing both sides uh, where they're like, okay, yeah, we're going to tell you that we're going to do everything we can for the electric vehicle thing by 2030. But at the same time, we're ramping up and continuing to push out the, uh, you know, midsize, full-size trucks, the SUVs, and because that's what people want. Um, Another excellent piece uh, that you pointed out was the political pressure for corporations. We're seeing it in other areas other than just environmental issues. Um, And there's a lot of caving going on. So uh, it will be interesting to watch and see how that plays out. Um, Folks, you want to check out Katie's piece. It's titled What You Need to Know About Biden's Ill-Conceived Executive Order on Electric Vehicles. Um, It's a very informative and easy read, and uh, it'll help you be more educated uh, and enlightened as to what's going on that you're probably not hearing if you're watching TV or listening, um, you know, to uh, different things on uh, the news or the Internet. So I would encourage you to do that. Just go to heritage.org and you can search uh, Katie. The last name is T-U-B-B and the article will come up. It's free and you can read it and uh, be the life of the party. Uh, at the barbecue this weekend. Katie, thanks so much for taking time uh, to join us and to educate us and really keep things down at the kitchen table type of level so that 
our listeners can understand it and process it and get a, a firmer hold on what's going on in this area. No, it was my privilege, Chris. Thanks for a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And you enjoy the rest of your weekend. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know you're busy. And uh, that does it for us, folks. Uh, We're out of time. So we will uh, be back next Saturday for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. And also, I'll be uh, on the Morning News Express with Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick, for the business updates at 556 and, um, you know, a lot going on out there. This is the kind of stuff, it's so important that we keep the facts in front of everybody um, so we all know what really is going on, especially after just a terrible week this week with the loss of human life um, and the injuries uh, for our American military, um, civilians, uh, for uh innocent Afghan people as well. Um, It's just really a shame. So we need to know what's going on out there and push back on all of the false narratives uh, that we have to deal with on a daily basis these days. Such a shame. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and I'll talk with you soon. This is, oh, just a reminder, inflation in your retirement. Are you prepared for rising costs? That's the latest uh, white paper we have for you. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. Just click on the homepage uh, button that's available, and it sh- uh, that goes right to your uh, email. So uh, enjoy that, and I hope you find it beneficial. That's why we do it. Uh, so this is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. News Radio 930. WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock.